what is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, the NFL draft is approaching us on Thursday. You got round one. And, of course, the Saints have the number 24 overall pick. What are they going to do with that pick? We'll discuss that here on today's podcast. And, of course, uh, what are the scenarios going on later in the draft? We'll dive into all that as well. But, of course, if you're listening to this pod, you're doing it in a variety of ways, more than likely. Of course, you can jump on theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of your annual subscription in your first year. And then you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them, rate, review, subscribe, do all those good things. And Jeff went full-blown Larry in his latest uh, columns where he basically broke down uh, the lifespan of one college football director of scouting of the Saints, Jeff, Ireland. And Jeff, obviously we have seen an uptick in success since he's arrived in New Orleans. And it's funny, someone, uh, after doing one of my uh, studies where I ranked all of the players in the Peyton Loomis era, and someone asked me in the comment section, what's the biggest difference from, say, 2000, you know, the early, you know, the mid uh 2012's uh, up until now, and I said two words, Jeff Ireland, and it's completely obvious, and Jeff, you had a chance to catch up with some of those who have known Jeff Ireland for a long time in your latest column. Yeah, that's a great point, Larry. Um, I I think the thing that's uh, interesting about it is he has really gained a lot of influence in the organization because of his success in these drafts, and uh, it's really almost, it's close to a three-headed monster now with with Mickey Loomis, Sean Payton, and Jeff Ireland, he's gained that kind of role and earned the respect in the building. And uh, they're very lucky to have him. I know some teams have come after him, approached him about being a GM. He's very happy in New Orleans. Uh, he loves the role he's in. But eventually, I think somebody's going to lay an offer on him that's too good to pass up. And we're going to look back at this period as, as one of the real like kind of golden ages of Saints football because of the the unique uh, partnership between Loomis, Ireland, and Peyton. They fit together very well uh, intellectually and also, um, I think, personality-wise. But, Larry, I'm I'm sure your rankings reflected it as well. I mean, what they've done the last five years uh, under Ireland and really almost have to give them a little bit of a pass on the first draft in 2015 because he took over in January, and most of that work was done by Rick Reipers and the rest of that scouting staff. But from that point on, I mean, they've drafted, you could say, as well as any team in the league, the only other team that's as good as them, according to my study, would be the Ravens. And that's no surprise, right? They went 14-2 and last year, had the best record in the league, and they've always drafted well. But the Saints have found elite players more than any other team in the league. And, and, and I tried to quantify that in the story And if our listeners out there will go uh, to The Athletic and find that story, I think you'll see how I use the criteria I used to try and determine 
who drafted well. You know, it's not easy to do. How do you rank drafts? Most most of the time, you and I have done it in the past, right? The draft occurs over the weekend. Our editors ask us to grade the draft. We give it a letter grade, and then everybody moves on, and you just kind of forget about that class. And I think uh, trying to quantify how well teams draft is a difficult challenge. Uh, I tried to use uh, the number of starters that were selected by each team, the number of pro bowlers that were selected, the number of all pros. But more than anything else, I use Pro Football Focus and their grading system, uh, how they determine a player. If They have a criteria. They rank them in different silos, Larry. It's either elite, high quality, good, average, below average, and poor. And that's how they grade their players, what kind of uh, how they designate them. And so we just kind of grouped all the players that were either good, high quality, or elite as a positive draft pick and came up with a, uh, a ranking system based on those quality players that have been selected. And right now, the last five years, the Ravens have selected 10 of those players. The Tennessee Titans might surprise you. They've had nine in the past five drafts, and the Saints were right there with eight. But the difference is eight of those players – Four of them were elite players, and that's the most in the NFL by far. And I give Jeff Ireland, I don't even consider him part of the 2015 draft. I remember all that going down when I was at the Senior Bowl and Rick Reiprich was getting fired, and then Jeff Ireland jumps on. All the scouting is basically done. There's no doubt about that. And so you can't change everything that's happened in a couple of months. I mean, you could put your spin on things, but uh, I, I don't even give him – I don't even connect him to that draft class, so uh, I point to the 16 and then move on. And and Jeff, really, that it's that 17 class that defines uh, what Jeff Ireland has been able to do. And I've done some of my own studies over the last month of just Saints success and where that 17 class stacks up. Of course, that's Lattimore, Ramchick, uh, Kamara, Marcus Williams, uh, Alex Anzalone, Trey Hendrickson, that class. And that class stacks up uh, within say the last time uh say 1994 when that's the first year that they had the seven round draft so I went back to that part and through three years and I use pro football reference which we reference to a lot on this podcast I use the three years as the kind of gauging point how has each class done the historically good classes in that time span and over the three years and that 17 class is either number three or number two. Uh, I think the the one I can remember off the top of my head that topped them was the Seahawks class of Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. I mean, that's how good that class is. So now that that expectation is levied upon Jeff Ireland, I think Saints fans are going into this draft wondering, okay, what kind of rabbit can they pull out of the hat and get kind of... Uh, that same impact because, of course, uh, you're assuming that every draft's going to be like that. And as we know, that's not the case. I mean, we could point to watershed drafts, the 06 draft with the Saints, and then the 17 draft. It's almost like that's where the, the start of the uptick began for kind of both of those eras. And we're in the midst of that era. And so the, the Saints approach, though, in this draft, Jeff, is probably more of Look, we're all in on this year because we know it, it could easily be Drew Brees' last year, and the Saints have an, a spectacular roster overall, uh, even though it's kind of marred by them losing in the wild card round. But still, 13-3 and three, uh, once again. 
And Jeff, you know, we did our mock draft last week, us two and our colleague Catherine Terrell. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, I think it, a lot of it is going to obviously depend on the board, which is every year uh, because they're sitting at number 24. But, but Jeff, I do think that the expectation is that even though the Saints have five picks, that the, I'm guessing the organization, I would assume, they, they assume that every class is going to be like the 17 class. But I could tell you outside of the building, you know, even though they have 24 and, and 88, that fans feel like that this is going to be an important draft, not just now, but in the future, because I think people look back at 2018 and are wondering, all right, when's that class going to pan out? And a lot of those picks are gone. Uh, you only have Marcus Davenport and Traquan Smith. And then you're looking at, you can't gauge after one year, the the 2019 draft, but people are already looking at Eric McCoy, rightfully so, uh, CJ Gardner-Johnson as impact players. Uh, but I, I think Saints fans are wondering, all right, it's 2020. We need another one of those 2017 drafts, even though they don't have necessarily the plethora of high picks that they had like in 17. Yeah, and I think the real um, interesting thing about the analysis there is the Saints and Ireland have done all this with just 33 picks in five years. Um, that's the fifth fewest in the entire NFL, and yet they've – come up with 11 starters out of 33 picks. So they have an insanely high strike rate. You know, their their batting average is by far the best in the league. And again, this year, they're down to just five picks. They only had five last year, but they managed to get a lot out of those five picks. When you look at Eric McCoy, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, they're both, uh, one's a starter, one is going to be a starter. He's a regular contributor. And Saquon Hampton and possibly – Caden Ellis could be uh, could be depth factors or rotational players in the future. They have to have another draft like that. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about that this this year. I think the Saints, the roster, is so deep and so talented and so set. I really think they're in such an enviable position that they can go up, trade up, and just go for quality over quantity. And I think they've done that in the past and been very smart about it. Or they could trade down and try and recoup some of those picks. I think they're in – either way, I think, makes a lot of sense for this team because, like you said, they're all in to try and win another Super Bowl with Breeze. But they can also have their eye on the future. And you know Mickey Loomis is thinking this. There's going to be life after Drew Breeze, and they can't just, you know, have a, a lopsided or top-heavy roster. They've got to have depth and young players, cost-effective players, because they're getting ready to, have to sign Ryan Ramchek. Marshawn Lattimore, perhaps Alvin Kamara, these 2017 players are all coming due, big paydays, and you have to have some cheap labor in the form of rookies to balance out the roster. It's definitely a delicate balance, Jeff, because think back to the 2018 draft and the Saints drafted NFL-caliber players. Like A lot of these players uh, didn't make the Saints roster but were immediately on other rosters. This, the, the roster was so good that the Saints could not have them on the team. And so, for me, you probably look at it as the same route right now. The Saints roster, even though there are some definite holes, and we're going to get to some of those and where they might go in the draft here in in a few minutes, but you look at some of those spots uh, where the Saints might be drafting and some of the, the strong position groups, and it's like, you know, the Saints might not have 
all the players that they draft could easily not make this roster again. So I feel like maybe being aggressive and not having to tally a bunch of picks for this year, I think that might be something that they look to because if, say they get two or three good players that stick to their roster as opposed to drafting six or seven and four of them don't make the roster, I'd, I'd rather go get the best players as opposed to just drafting a guy and then he falls by the wayside. Yeah, I, I think you, you're spot on. Let's look at last year's draft as a perfect example. They didn't have a lot of picks, and they went for quality over quantity, and they end up with two players, and Eric McCoy and C.J. Gardner-Johnson, that are going to be part of this team, key parts, for the next five years. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And that's what you're looking for. You, want, you can build the roster around those kind of guys. And the Saints have that luxury of having that core from 2017 – and if you throw in, you know, Marcus Davenport into the mix, along with uh, Gardner Johnson and McCoy, you've got a real core of the last three three drafts. You want to add to that, so I, I think the Saints would be smart, and I think they've got the luxury because they're they're so talented right now. We mentioned this. I mean, the, the Pro Football Focus grading system, Larry. The Saints have seven elite players on their roster. No other team in the league has more than five, and that's the defending Super Bowl champion. Kansas City Chiefs, and then it drops off from there to three. I think the Steelers, a few other teams have three. So we're talking about a team that has seven elite players according to one grading system. Uh, that's a, that's insanely – they're insanely talented, and they can take advantage of that uh, and, and really go for quality, I think. And it all comes down to their board, right? They're going to look at their board on draft day on Thursday and Friday, and if they see a player that they value and have highly graded – that starts to fall, they can afford to be aggressive and use draft picks or maybe even a player uh, to trade up and get that player and get another key uh, role player, core player uh, for the future. Jeff, you've either made Saints fans very happy or very angry with the quality of player on the roster. Why haven't they won more Super Bowls? Da, 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 da. I think you, <laughs> it's the double-edged sword there. <laughs> For, for, for that's so true exactly yeah but but that's why uh look the that's why the saints have sustained success 11 wins 13 wins 13 wins and now you're going into this draft with not a ton of big time huge gigantic needs like unlike some other teams that are going into this draft but still jeff there definitely needs and you get to the 24th pick in the first round and Definitely, uh, I think for every scenario we've kind of already touched over, like you can make an argument for the Saints at number 24 to jump. You can make them an argument to stay. You can make an argument to trade back. I've used the argument a lot to maybe use Jordan Love as potential bait to maybe move back. Uh, but Jeff, let's just start with uh, that first round pick. And I've done some of the simulations, which I've, if if people have followed me on social media over the past month, I think this all kind of coincides with being quarantined. I I found draft simulators and have spent my entire life ever since then doing them while watching like Netflix and teaching my kids third grade math. But when you look at the scenarios, I feel like the Saints could probably trade up to as high as number 12 if they used number 24 and their first round pick from next year. So Jeff, as that guideline, let's use that for the guideline. 
Is there maybe a player or two or five? I don't know. I'm, I'm not reading your brain here. That you feel like, man, the Saints w- could be in 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 love with to go up that high and maybe go get a player. Well, yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple of positions they would do that for if I were them, and one would be uh, an elite corner that they felt like, uh, you know, C.J. Henderson or Jeff Akuda. If one of those players somehow unexpectedly dropped into the teens, I could see them going to find that guy because I really believe corners are a big need. Uh, you, you know, when you look at Janoris Jenkins, what is he on a, a two-year deal or one-year deal? He's 32 years old. Uh, he's an outside corner pretty much. Uh, the Saints don't have another real strong player at that position outside of Lattimore. And uh, you, you have to assume they're going to make Lattimore a, a long-term deal here soon. Uh, they need another book in there, at least somebody that's capable of starting uh, in, toward the future. So I could see them doing that. And then if there's a receiver that they really love, uh, one, you know, much like what they did with Brandon Cooks, a guy that they had graded very highly, if there's one that they feel fits their team, and I think that's the other important thing in this equation. I'm sure you've done it in your mock drafts uh, the way I have. And that is, you know, who's going to be the receiver that they pick? It's going to be somebody that complements and fits with Mike Thomas because Mike Thomas is going to be the one for the foreseeable future. So they need a receiver that is going to have different traits and skill sets uh, that complements his game. Uh, so you have to think about that. Not every receiver is going to be uh, fit fit the Saints because a lot of them are going to have the same skill sets as Mike Thomas, and they've already got that guy. So I think finding a guy that gives them something they don't already have at receiver is well worth the price of maybe trading up to get him because this team is built to win right now. And if they can add some explosiveness and playmaking ability, uh, you know, someone that can do some of the things that Cooks did on jet sweeps and and take short passes and take it to the house, they don't have that guy right now uh, in the receiver core. Then I think that's the guy you go for, an explosive playmaker. And it's almost like you're pointing right at Henry Ruggs from Alabama. That might be your guy that you would move yeah. up to because C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy are probably more and the same ilk as Mike Thomas. Uh, but Henry Ruggs is definitely on his own plane where he uses speed and he can he could do all those things that you described. And so if you're doing that, you're also you're giving 24, but you're also giving away that first round pick next year, which you assume is going to be at least in the 20s. Uh, so it, you're you're again, doing a trade like what you did with Marcus Davenport when you traded up from 28 to 14. Uh, I know the jury is definitely out publicly uh, with the Hoodats on Marcus Davenport right now. And so are you willing to go all the way up that high, though, and spend that kind of capital, especially in a draft where there are wide receivers that will be taken late first round, second round. There, this is known as one of the deepest wide receiver drafts uh, that we've seen probably since maybe 2014 when we're talking about Brandon Cooks, Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, you know, all those players. So it is definitely come crunch time. The Saints know they have the ammo to move up if they want to, and that would be a position that maybe they would, but still do. it's the risk 
of what if you get someone at 24 that you like just as much or what if there's someone in round two and you don't have to spend as much to move up to uh, whether it's early round two, late round two. So Jeff, I think that's going to be when that board shakes out, one or at least two of those receivers would probably be available there. And so that is going to be the question. What do they do? Do they really love a receiver that much to go move up to do that? Because I feel like you mentioned corner and Henderson would probably be the only one around there. Uh, but receiver would be kind of the, the the target to me. And the risk and the value there, it is definitely kind of rolling the dice there, won't you think? Yeah, and, and especially in this draft, Larry, because there's so many good receivers. And I think the Saints do such a good job of identifying those receivers that fit their system and what they need that they may feel like they don't have to take one in round one, that they could get one maybe by making a trade into round two or in round three. You know, we've seen them in the past find guys like Kenny Stills. I mean, I think he was a fifth-round draft pick. Look how productive he's been in his career, wherever he's been. Uh, and the Saints do a great job of identifying those traits. i tell you the two guys I do love, though, that adds something. And I keep going back to what, what Sean Payton said at the Super Bowl this year when he was asked to evaluate the game. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was talking about the receiver cores for both the 49ers and the Chiefs. And he, was, he sounded envious of the speed and explosiveness of the Kansas City and San Francisco receiver cores. Of course, he went out and got one of those players in Emmanuel Sanders. But Emmanuel Sanders is in his 30s. And uh, at this point in his career, I think he's probably got a few years left in it. So they need somebody that can pair with Mike Thomas long-term and compliment him and would be a yard-after-catch kind of guy. And I think that's one of the things that fans sometimes get a little bit uh, focused on when they think about receivers. They look for deep ball players and guys that can go deep. That's not what the NFL game's about anymore. I mean, look at the Chiefs. Most of their passes are these short, intermediate throws to guys like McCole Hardman, and Tyreek Hill, and they get the ball and they make plays after the catch. They're explosive. They're great um, runners and distinctive runners after they get the ball in short intermediate routes. That's how the game's played now. The Saints don't really have that guy. Uh, Mike Thomas is a great intermediate player, but he's not exactly going to take it to the house. And I think a guy like Jalen Rager, I've mentioned him before on this podcast. And the other guy that I'm really warm to is someone our colleague Catherine Terrell picked to the Saints early on, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Very similar, actually, to Emmanuel Sanders. Our Dane Brugler and his great draft guy, the Beast, compares him favorably uh, to Emmanuel Sanders. And both of those guys, Larry, I could see Sean Payton salivating over, uh, putting into this offense with Sanders, with Mike Thomas, and with Deontay Harris, who I think they have a bigger role this year, and all of a sudden now you've got a fleet of fast, big play wideouts to complement Mike Thomas and his steadiness uh, kind of between the hash marks. Uh, I, I could see that being a guy that they really talk about. Well, if you love those guys, those guys seem to be maybe not top half of the draft guys. So basically, if you were running the draft room and you like those guys, and I'm a big fan of Ayuk as well. And I know our own Dane Brugler, uh, our draft guru here at The Athletic, has him in I think his top 25 and a lot of uh, other pundits maybe aren't as high on him but some of the guys I trust of course Dane uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network they have a really high value on on Ayuk as well 
Uh, so that might be someone, and we're, we'll get to maybe a scenario uh, in a few minutes in round two, early in round two, if there's someone there that, boy, you trade up and go get him, it won't cost you as much. So, uh, so Jeff, mm-hmm. if, if you are, let's just say hypothetically, all right, the cost is too much. Ruggs would be the guy you'd go get if you're in love with him. I think I'm on the same page as well. Ruggs would be the guy I would go get. I would, and he would fit the Saints and compliment Mike Thomas, like you said. I'm, I, I agree with you there. Uh, but if the Saints don't want to trade all the way up to 12, I figured out, and it's kind of documented in my uh, latest mock draft that came out this morning on the Athletic, that you could probably trade up to about 19 if you traded your number 24 overall pick and your second rounder from 2021. So if you got to 19, you're probably talking, those receivers are likely off the board, and you're probably talking uh, Justin Jefferson uh, land, linebacker land, uh, maybe a corner falls, uh, you know, maybe one of those edge rushers is is around, uh, Caleb on Chasson, something like that. Uh, you know, so if Jeff, if there's a player maybe at 19 that you really liked and felt, all right, the Eagles or the Jaguars or the Vikings are going to get before you want them. Is there someone there that you would be really compelled to kind of jump up five spots and take before someone takes them before you? No, there's not anybody. I, t- I tell you, the one guy I would seriously consider, and this is going to knock your socks off probably, uh, is Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, I, I think. He would be great. I know this is blasphemy to my Taysom Hill love fest, but your agent cut you. Are, you're out. You're, <laughs> you don't get a cut of, of Taysom's contract ever again. You were cut. Goodbye. See you later. I, I knew I was going to hear some of you, <laughs> so, but I just think I think that kid is a winner. I think people are going to look back on him. I saw Nick Saban today said that the teams that pass on him are going to feel the, the regret that he felt when they passed on Drew Brees. I think he's that kind of player. And I think he would compliment the Saints, and they'd probably have to move on from Taysom Hill for sure if they brought him in. But that's the one guy I would go get at quarterback because I just think I think he's special, and boy, he'd be a perfect heir apparent behind Drew Brees to move on. But I, I will say something to you, Larry. I, I, I didn't bring this up to you before we did the pod, but I heard something last night on Mike Lombardi's podcast that I wanted to ask you about. He was talking at length about Jordan Love at quarterback. And uh, you and I have talked about him. This is a guy that we we believe is not on the Saints' radar. But what he was saying to me raised a red flag. He said the Saints are doing a ton of work on Jordan Love, a ton of information gathering. And my suspicion is that they're doing that as a smokescreen, that they are doing it with the intention of creating interest in that pick at number 24 acting like they're interested in Jordan Love. That way, potentially, they could work out a trade for somebody that, that is in love with Jordan Love, pardon the pun, that might move up and get him, and they could actually recruit another draft pick. What, what do you think about that? Well, I wrote that, I'd say, last week when I did a bunch of scenarios, trade-up, trade-back scenarios, and all of my trade-back scenarios surrounded Jordan Love because I'm with you. Look, I'm – if I'm wrong, I'm going to tell you I'm wrong because I've been leaning on what I've heard even going back to the Combine about Jordan Love that, uh, look, obviously they they want to get to know the player in case 
they actually would want to draft him and they know that quarterback is up there as uh, something that I feel like they're going to draft a quarterback. Uh, you know, I keep saying they might not, but just le- just kind of reading between the lines, Jeff, if you remember when Sean Payton uh, did his conference call with us a couple of weeks ago, he's like, oh, you know, we, we got to bring in a quarterback we want to develop. They have to have a third quarterback. He admitted that. And he has to be active on game day because they're going to use Taysom uh, still in the same way. So a third quarterback's coming and will be on the 53-man roster. But he started it by saying, you know, we want to bring in someone to develop. So the more and more I think that they're going to take a quarterback. But I, I just feel like I'm with you that they could use him as bait to potentially trade back. And it all is going to depend on what does Miami do? What does the Chargers do? Uh, Jacksonville might be in that mix. Indianapolis could be in that mix. Heck, Tampa could be in that mix. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's not getting any younger, uh, so they need a they need a backup plan after that. But I feel like that the Saints are not going to take him. And if I'm wrong, obviously I'm going to come out and admit that uh, the information I received was uh, was not correct or just I was lied to, as we know how the, this this thing goes. But still, uh, I could see that totally being. Uh, some bait there and them using it and, and maybe getting a later first round pick or early or early second round or a couple of second rounders or maybe even a future pick because I feel like in later drafts the Saints I feel like could accumulate picks and and go forward there so uh, you know that to me is a scenario where I I totally believe they're doing all their homework but I do think it's not just smokescreen but I think the fact that info is getting out might help their smoke screen, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, look, I look at it like what we're hearing about the New York Giants right now. All of a sudden, in the last day or two, we're hearing that Dave Gettleman's doing all this homework on Justin Herbert, right? I mean, they just drafted Daniel Jones in the first round. Makes no sense. So there's a reason that information's getting out, that they're gathering all this information. They're trying to potentially lure a team into trading with them. And I think it's no mistake. You and I know the Saints very well. Very rarely does their information get out. So if they're gathering all this information, I think it's all for show. Because let's face it, this draft is about 17 or 18 players deep in the first round with players that have true first round grades. It kind of drops off from about 20 to about 50. Everybody knows this. Everybody in the league knows it. The Saints sitting there at 24 they're going to have to have a player on their board, and their board's different than other teams because you know they, they're going to grade it according to their system and their needs. But the chances of one of those players that they feel is a first-round grade dropping to 24 is probably pretty remote. Uh, and so they might have to go up and get that player, or more likely they would want to trade down because the player they get at the top of the second round, middle of the second round, is probably going to be very similar to the one they would take at 24. The only way to take advantage of that. The only way to make that happen is to create interest in your pick because every other team in the league knows the same uh, grading scale. And the only kind of player I think people would be wanting to move up for is a quarterback. And it would be somebody like Jordan Love. So it makes sense for them to maybe create a fake interest in a player and maybe lure a trade partner. Well, yeah. And so uh, just uh, reversing back though, with the, uh, the the potential trade up to 19. Uh, so you're going to stand, Pat. You're not going to move up to 19. I'm kind of with you there. If, if no. I got to 19 and I, you know, I think there's a cluster of players that 
I would feel comfortable if I'm going to pick at 24 that I would take there or I would heavily entertain. If those players all of a sudden evaporated, uh, you're going best player available regardless of position, a la what they did with Ryan Ramchek, and that certainly paid off, uh, or trading back. And so, all right, let's get to the pick number 24. And I know last week when we did our mock simulation draft, uh, Catherine and I both went with Patrick Queen, and yet who knows if he's even on the board. And and right. and so he might not be on the board. Patrick Murray might not be on the board. But uh, let, let's just say because linebacker has been a popular choice and because uh, just gauging by Dane Brugler's big board, uh, look, Queen and Murray are ranked in his rankings on his big board right around where the Saints would be picking. I think Queen's 21, Murray might be 24. And so let's debate those two players because that's a popular debate. And my debate, I feel like, actually might surprise people as well. Uh, but, Jeff, if you were going to take one or the other, Queen or Murray, which one would you want and why? Uh, I would take Murray for sure. Uh, he seems like a more well-rounded player. Uh, I don't, I mean, Queen, uh, I have some reservations. I mean, he didn't start until his last year at LSU. Uh, you know, Ed Ogeron said the reason he wasn't starting is because he didn't stop the run very well. He didn't take on blocks well. Uh, I worry about a player like that. Uh, I know he's got the size. I mean, he's got the speed that you're looking for a linebacker, uh, but he doesn't fit the Saints prototype at that position. They like 6'2", 230, 240-pound linebackers. I mean, guys like Demario Davis, those are the kind of guys they want at that position. That's their prototype. Would they make an exception for Queen? Perhaps. Maybe his speed is so good and his upside is so, uh, you know, alluring that they would make that exception. They certainly have done it in the past. It's not out of the question. But to me, Murray fits what they're looking for in a linebacker. But you know me, I, I, I just do not believe in – taking linebackers in round one unless they're like a true difference maker like a Luke Keekley. So I'll, I would pass on a linebacker if I'm going to stay at 24. All right, well, in, within this debate, you know what? I actually agree with you. I think Murray has the bigger upside than Patrick Queen. And my only question is that uh, – and I'm going by the people that I trust – and so I'm talking the Bruglers, the Daniel Jeremiah's, the you know the Matt Millers at, at Bleacher Report. Those guys I trust. They do a lot more studying than I do on on Kenneth Murray. But they also say that you know sometimes his reading and recognition on a play isn't as strong. And Queen is has a stronger suit. And I'm also a little bit uh, jaded just because I have watched in person. Patrick Queen's best games of his career. I mean, he was lights out uh, that final stretch when you're talking SEC championship game, Oklahoma and Clemson, and he played well against Alabama. So, and you covered that game. So you're all, it's almost like, boy, you know, you don't want to get sucked into the Queen train, but I do feel like Queen might be, if you're looking for a straight up middle linebacker, I feel like he's a safer pick than Murray and that Murray is more of a Demario Davis type. And people also forget, you know, they everybody loves Demario Davis, and rightfully so. He's an all-pro player, uh, and that is legit. He's in the final year of his contract. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I think the Saints are going to re-sign him. But, you know, if you're looking for a middle linebacker, Queen might fit the type a little bit more. And so, 
And right now, what, Queen's like at 229 or something. Maybe they could beef him up and he won't lose some speed. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. But I do feel like, look, he didn't play. He started his first, he started his uh, junior year and that's when he finally got on the field. But part of that is he's playing behind Devin White. So can you really blame him at that position? So there's a lot of give and take, uh, you know, and it, it certainly would be really, really interesting to see if it came down to those two players, which one the Saints would take. I, I'm, I'd be really curious to see. And I could see arguments on both sides of that coin. Yeah, I think they're really close. You're right. And it really comes down to fit and, you know, who they feel like fits their scheme best uh, at that point. But those those are clearly the two best linebackers in the draft. And, well, outside uh, of Isaiah Simmons. I mean, I, Simmons is on like another well, plane, right? I consider him almost like a – a wild card, you know, he's like a joker player. Yeah. But I do think versatility is so important in Dennis Allen's scheme. Actually, in, in anybody's scheme now, the league is becoming, uh, you know, almost like basketball. It's positionless. I think that was one of the reasons they were attracted to Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, we know what they're doing with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They want players that are hybrids because that's the way the game is going. The way offenses are playing, tight ends and backs involved in the passing game. You've got to have versatility, and I know Dennis Allen loves that. So you, when you look at these draft prospects, consider that uh, You know when you're looking at a scouting report. So if you're not going linebacker, uh, where are you going? I, I may be giving away your mock draft, but who are the players you're considering at 24 if you're staying put? I mean, are you looking at wide receiver? Are you looking at some other positions? I know in our last mock – uh, I'm trying to remember you actually traded down in the scenario. So if you were staying at 24, who are you looking at? Because I'll, I'll just put it to you this well, way. I'll just put it to you this way. I'd look at Queen. I, I think Queen or Murray. I mean, those would be my players. And if Jefferson fell, I would I would think really long and hard about Jefferson. Yeah. I, well, I, I would look at one of these receivers I mentioned. Uh, ideally, I would want to trade down if I could to the end of the first round and take Cesar Reeds, the, the center from Michigan, then you're set on the offensive line for the foreseeable future. Uh, he could groom behind, uh, you know, the guards and Eric McCoy, and then he could move into the starting lineup in year two, I think. And then if you could pick up an extra high pick, then you could go get your receiver. But if not, if I had to take one receiver, uh, and I'm a little leery of this because I don't love anybody outside those top three guys, uh, I think they've all got question marks, uh, I would take Ayuk because I just think he is – the skill set they need, uh, the yards after catch, explosiveness, the running ability after the catch, all those things they don't really have in their offense. And I could see the Saints utilizing him. Uh, the way they used uh, Ted Ginn Jr. a little bit, but I think he would be almost like a uh, you know, a fuel-injected Ted Ginn Jr. and that, that he would do more do more things, be more versatile than Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, so I, and I th- it's a guy I think that makes a lot of sense for uh, their offense. For me, I would kind of roll the dice uh, and not take him there. But if he were to fall out of the first round and you reset your board, he's someone I would trade up for in round two and not think twice about it, Jeff. I'm with you. I'm really high on Ayuk. And if you went Ruiz in round one or if you went the linebacker, I think Ayuk would be someone I would trade up for uh, with no problem. And in my mock draft, 
Uh, I did a mock trade. I didn't trade up for Ayuk. Uh, I, uh, so I'm kind of going against what I'm saying right now. But he's a player I would certainly trade up for uh, at the top of round two. And using the Pro Football Network draft simulator, which I used uh, for my mock, uh, I traded up to number 33. And that was the cost was the Saints 2021 first round pick. So, you know, basically, uh, you know, you're, you're using some ammo. But I also got back a sixth from the Bengals. And I went up and went to number 33, Jeff. And I took the corner from TCU, Jeff Gladney. And I know he's someone you've kind of had your eye on as well. Uh, and I feel like uh, either someone like him or Ayuk, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade up. In round two, probably for someone like T. Higgins. I feel like he's too Michael Thomas-esque. And, you know, I feel like I would have a conviction on Ayuk. So it would be someone like him. I would trade up to the top part of round two or one of those corners, say A.J. Terrell or Gladney or Jalen Johnson. I feel like any of those guys, if they were in the top of round two, I would jump to go get one of those two guys. Or three guys. Yeah, I like this thinking there. I mean, I think this draft should look a lot like last year's draft. You know, in that if you come out of it with two two really good players like they did last year with McCoy and Gardner-Johnson and then a couple of developmental prospects, uh, you're doing well because you've only got five picks. Do you want to go into next year into that draft capital to move around? That might be the only other option. But I would say this, Larry, I mean, in a lot of – a lot of this information is leaking out right now. There's a lot of players on the market right now. I think Thursday and Friday um, could be very active in the trade market. And who's to say the Saints won't be a part of that? I mean, the Saints have been very aggressive in the past. They're not afraid to trade at all. They're one of the more aggressive teams in that market in the league. And I could see them potentially taking a player and packaging him with a pick or, or, or moving him to acquire an extra pick uh, because this roster is so deep and so talented, uh, they have that luxury. So I'm not, I'm not putting anything out of the uh, equation in terms of the next few days in the draft because I think there's going to be a lot of activity. So, Jeff, what you're saying is the Saints are either going to, A, trade for Leonard Fournette and use Alvin <laughs> Kamara as bait, or B, call Bill O'Brien, offer a, a – you know, a little uh, side of jambalaya and maybe like uh, some rue and get Deshaun Watson. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, my, my guy Bill O'Brien, just man, he's a punching bag. Um, <laughs> You've defended him, man. Come on, what's going on? I haven't I, defended I him. Defend him. You haven't defended him, but you're saying like hold off. But come on, man, bring back Brandon Cooks while you're at it. What what the heck? People act like they, they've gone four and twelve. Here. That's the thing <laughs> that kills me about it. The Texans are a very good team, and I, I think they're. I think the guys. Much shrewder than everybody makes them out to be, but it's hard to defend that Hopkins trade. I have to, I have to admit. But no, back to the, the original point. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of activity. I, if Leonard Fournette gets traded, and it sounds like he will, then where's he going to go? I mean, he's he's an interesting guy that you know a few years ago looked like a bell cow back. Uh, he's the best high school player I've ever seen play, and now he looks like a man without a country. I don't know who's going to be interested in him. Maybe I heard somebody mention Carolina. I could see Joe Brady wanting to pair him with Christian McCaffrey in that backfield. That would be uh, probably not the best thing for the New Orleans Saints. But um, 
he's going to have somebody that sees a role for him because he's too talented. It'd be like the wing T or something, and then Teddy will just hand the ball off or just dump it off to either one of those two guys. That that would be pretty interesting yep. to see. Uh, but uh, but Jeff, before we we run out of here, uh, a really hot topic uh, on social media, and it's not coming from uh, say reporting or everything, but. Uh, and I know we talked a little bit about it about uh, last week, but uh, look, just Alvin Kamara and his situation. I'm not going to say, all right, let's uh, the Saints should trade Alvin Kamara, but in terms of this draft, do you feel like the Saints should go get a back somewhere, uh, and maybe even if they love someone, <clears throat> Claude Edwards-Hilaire, and trade up to go a la the same way they did Kamara? I mean, would that totally shock you? No, I think it's. Uh something that they definitely will look into. I just don't know how high, you know. They traditionally have not drafted running backs very high. I know they, they took Mark Ingram high. But um, I do remember, though, at the Combine, John DeShazer, our old colleague at the time speaking, who now works for the Saints, interviewed Jeff Ireland and asked him about this draft. And the first position group he talked about was wide receivers, of course, an historic class for wide receivers. The second group he mentioned was running backs. He says a very good group of running backs. So I could see them utilizing one of those second, third day picks, um, especially third day pick on a running back to groom behind uh, Murray and Kamara, because I think this is a make or break year for Kamara for a number of reasons. Uh, You know, it's a prove it deal. And I know they would love to have him back. He's been a key player, but uh, they've got to see more from him than what they saw last year. And yeah, and if he's great, then you get a great season out of him, and then you figure out after that. And if he's not, you know you can move on. But I think drafting someone would make a ton of sense, uh, just in the same light as 2017. You had Ingram and Adrian Peterson, and then you added Kamara. And the depth behind Kamara right now in the Saints isn't nearly as that with Latavius Murray, and they just re-signed Dwayne Washington a few days ago. So yeah, I'm with you. I think they will draft a running back somewhere, and so uh, you know. But piggybacking off of that. We're going to have blanket coverage here at The Athletic. Of course, Jeff, myself, Kath, and Terrell, we're going to be covering all angles of the Saints. Brody Miller is going to be covering all the angles of LSU. We're going to have, of course, coverage all over the league, nationally on a local basis. And always check out Dane Brugler's great work. He's got the beast out. He's got his top 300 board out. I know he's going to have one more mock draft coming out as well. I have my Saints mock that came out on Tuesday. Jeff's going to have his on Wednesday. And then once we get there, we're going to have podcast, analysis, you name it, every angle we're going to have right here on The Athletic. So, uh, But that's going to wrap up this edition for today. We'll have plenty more, as I just alluded to here uh, on the Duncan Holder podcast. I want to thank our producer, Danielle, as always, for coordinating all of us uh, two goobers. And, uh, Jeff, it's going to be a good one this weekend, even though we're going to be uh, at our own homes, not at the Saints facility, my friend. I think it's going to be a crazy draft. I'm looking forward to it. Don't forget, Larry and I, uh, after the first round, we will have a kind of a, what do you call it, a, a mini quickie pod, if you will. Something like that. The Saints first round draft pick. Right. We'll, we'll put together our thoughts on it. Uh, so check that out as well. It'll come into your notifications uh, on your phone. And I'm looking forward to it. Larry. I think it's going to be crazy. I'm really looking forward to seeing what everybody's uh, draft rooms look like in their homes. That's going to be my favorite thing to see who's got the coolest setup among the GMs and head coaches around the league. I just want to see day one before the draft to day three where the all their desks are trashed and, uh, you know, they got like – 
uh, candy wrappers and pizza boxes, and then uh, you know they're pulling out their hair. So I think I think that's going to be uh, the best look. So uh, yeah, it's <laughs> totally fun. So all right, we'll be back on Thursday uh, for sure with uh, another pod as we uh, evaluate the pick, and then uh, after the draft is over, we will certainly have our weekly pod where we go through everything all the scenarios and then what's next for the saints so so for our producer danielle for jeff duncan i'm larry holder thanks for joining us here on the duncan holder podcast on the athletics podcast network